Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I received a very good question recently, and so I thought I would take the opportunity on this broadcast to answer it. The question comes from Romans chapter 3 and James chapter 2. In Romans chapter 3, there is a description about how we are justified, and this was given by Paul in verses 23 to 28. This is Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. This is a very important position that Paul takes in his letters. It is definitely a very important position, a very important statement that we are justified, that our right standing before God is established by our faith, not by the deeds of the law or by our works. However, if we go to James's letter, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 20 to verse 26, it says something a little bit different. Beginning in James chapter 2, verse 20, He said, But do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, then, that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so James appears to be taking a different position than Paul. There appears to be a disagreement between the two. Whereas Paul said in Romans chapter 3 verse 28, he said, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And yet in James chapter 2 verse 24, James says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And so there appears to be a contradiction between the two. And this is the question. The question is, how do we reconcile these apparent differences in these passages in scriptures? How do we reconcile the differences? Because it does appear that they are saying something very different. Now, there are many explanations that give a very good description of how we might be able to reconcile these passages. For example, consider James chapter 2, verse 22, where he said, Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. 
if you consider that verse and consider that to be in context with verse 24, which it most certainly is, then the position that many people will take is that James was not really saying that we are justified by our works and not by faith only, even though that's what he said. But what he meant by that was he meant that if you have faith in Christ Jesus, then we should anticipate that the works of God will be real in your life. That your faith will not just be a simple faith, but that there will be works in your life that would be a reflection of the faith that you have. That if you truly believe in Christ Jesus, you're not going to just say, okay, I believe in Christ Jesus and go on and live your daily life as you did before, but that we would expect to see a significant change in your life experience. That's what people say about what James was really wanting to communicate. And so if we take it from that perspective, then our works do, in effect, make our faith complete, make our faith perfect, and that without works, it is unlikely that we have any faith at all. In fact, if we were to really follow through with what James said further down into verse 26, then we would say that that faith would be dead. Faith without the manifestation of the works of God would be dead. It would be useless. And so some people are suggesting that this is a way of reconciling these differences because it is true, it is absolutely true that we should anticipate that if a person becomes a believer in Christ Jesus, if they truly have faith in him, if they believe the gospel, if they really surrender their life to the Lord Jesus in accordance with the new covenant, if that happens, we should anticipate that there would be some kind of a change in their life. We should expect to see some works in their life. There's no question about that whatsoever. The challenge, though, is are we justified before our God by our works or are we justified by faith? That's the real challenge. You see, when we look at these passages from that point of view, we could say that this is a way of reconciling that because there is no question that we would expect to see a change in a believer's life. The real argument is an argument of did James intend to say that or did he not intend to say that? That is the real question. Now, the explanation that I just gave is an explanation with regards to how we might be able to reconcile the possible confusion that we might have in reading these scriptures. And this is the traditional explanation. And it is a reasonable explanation. I believe that the truth that is being communicated in that explanation is certainly true. No question about that whatsoever. And so if you want to believe that, then I would say there is nothing wrong with that at all. I would not try to contend with that in any way whatsoever. And I would say go in peace and be at peace. And that is a truth that we can most certainly live by. But in this broadcast and a few broadcasts following, I'm going to take a little bit of a different perspective. I'm going to make the assumption, and that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to assume that James did not intend to say that, that he did not intend to agree with Paul, that his intent was not really to say that a believer should express works in their life because of their faith and that we would expect that to be real. I'm not going to say that that's really his intent. I am going to suggest that he really did sincerely believe that if a person does not perform works of God, does not perform works in obedience to the deeds of the law, to more specifically the law of Moses, if a person does not live in obedience to the law of Moses after they come to Christ Jesus by faith, then they are not saved. 
Their faith is dead, and they quite likely are not a child of God. I'm going to make that assumption that perhaps James really did intend to say that. And if he intended to say that, if that really was his intent, then there are some new questions that we need to have answered, that we need to seriously consider. And so that's what I'm going to do in this broadcast, is I'm going to deal with the subject, deal with the possibility that perhaps James was saying something very different from Paul. Perhaps they did not agree with each other. There is that possibility. Now, when we consider that kind of a possibility, there is great concern and great risk, because if that is the case, then how do we deal with this potential contradiction in the Scriptures? Because we do know that it is true there is no contradiction in the Scriptures, and so if this appears to be a contradiction, then we have a serious problem. Now, I want you to know up front, right away, that even though there is a distinct possibility that James was saying something very different, I would not describe this as a contradiction in the Scriptures. I would not consider this to be a contradiction, even though the two statements do oppose one another. And my explanation for that is that the letter of James is an example of what James was teaching, and the letter of Paul was an example of what Paul was teaching. And we have to consider, are there any other passages in Scripture that shows that they did have a disagreement with each other? And if I can show that then it can be perfectly acceptable to see their differences. Because if there is evidence in the scriptures that shows that they did disagree, then it would support the validity of the scriptures. It would enforce the scriptural integrity of the letters that we have. It would enforce their integrity if we can find an example of where they did disagree, of where they did not agree with each other. And so that's the position that I will take in making the assumption that James was actually intending to say that your justification before God is based on your works and not by your faith only. If he was really intending to say that, that your right standing with God, that your salvation in Christ Jesus, that your salvation being sustained in Christ Jesus was dependent on your works, if that's what he was intending to say, then this is another perspective. This is another point of view that I personally believe can be considered to be acceptable. But please understand it is based on that assumption. Now, before I get into the details of this, it's very important to review the subject of salvation, just briefly at least. We need to review and we need to be reminded of what salvation is. Because when we're talking about this issue of justification or righteousness, what we are talking about is what is our position before our God? When he sees us, does he truly see the righteousness of Christ Jesus or does he hold our sins against us? Does he hold our sins against us or does he not hold our sins against us? If he does hold our sins against us, then we are not fully justified, we are not fully righteous, and there needs to be a change in our own life so that we sin less enough, to what degree that may be, but we get enough sin out of our life and so that we are right with our God. And there are many doctrines, there are many theologies that people build on from this point of view that if it is true that our right standing is sustained by our works, by our actions, then in that way we are perhaps going to receive the blessings of God. Maybe we will get greater rewards in heaven because of what we do, because of the choices and the decisions that we make. These are things that people believe. I personally do not believe that. 
I do believe that we will experience rewards in heaven, but only for the works that the Lord Jesus does within and through us. And I think that there is a difference. I think that there is a very distinct difference between the works that we do for him out of the energy of our own determination, our own commitment, our own desire. Those are things that people are certainly living their life by. But I don't believe in that. I believe in something very different. I believe that we are to live a life of dependency and trust. And while there are many theologies and many denominations that are built on this foundation that doesn't mean that we all believe in that and for that reason it's very important to review the issue of the gospel the issue of how are we truly saved why are we saved under what basis are we saved what really is our salvation and so let's consider this what is salvation salvation is the good news it is actually a solution to a problem And so if you are going to really understand and appreciate the good news, if you're really going to appreciate the good news as a solution to a problem, we must first have a clear and concise understanding of the nature of the problem. This is absolutely necessary. We must first understand the nature of the problem. Otherwise, understanding the solution is really not going to be as beneficial. It certainly will not have as much of an impact because we don't really know what it's really providing for. For example, if we were to consider just a basic mathematical equation such as 2 plus 2 equals 4, if we were to proclaim 4, 4 is the answer, 4 is the answer, well, that doesn't really help unless we know what the problem is. The problem 2 plus 2, or maybe it's 1 plus 3, or maybe it's 5 minus 1. Those are the kinds of concerns that we need to settle right away. We need to get answered right away so that there is no confusion with regards to what our salvation really is, what is our justification. Now, the problem between man and God was clearly defined in the scriptures. It was defined in the Garden of Eden when mankind sinned and died. This was the conflict that Adam and Eve had with the Lord with regards to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve believed the satanic lie that if they were to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they would know what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong. They would be able to live in accordance with that and would be able to function as God created them to function independent of their God indwelling within them because they would know what to do and they would know what not to do. That was the original satanic lie. And when they believed that, they experienced the penalty that was defined by our God, the penalty of death. Now, this death was a spiritual death that the Lord God was referring to. Adam and Eve certainly did die. Adam lived to be 930 years old. He did some farming. He had some children. He certainly seemed to be quite active for a dead guy. But the law clearly said that in the very day, at that very moment, without question, without exception, he would most certainly die. This is a very important thing to understand because he did die in that day. The way that he died, however, was he died spiritually. The physical death was nothing more than a secondary reaction, something that happened afterwards. It was a byproduct of the spiritual death and the change that our God had to make within this world to ensure that we would not remain within this world eternally, because this world is definitely not heaven. The Garden of Eden was no longer going to be the same. Everything would be different. 
and so he made the changes as an act of mercy and grace towards us to provide us with an opportunity to escape the world as it was going to change so that we could enter into the kingdom of heaven after we actually physically died. And in the meantime, it is an opportunity for us to know our God and potentially be born again spiritually. This was expressed also when God breathed within man the breath of life and mankind became a living being. Man became a living being. That breath of life that was breathed within Adam was the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God that was breathed within him so that he would be a living being. He would be alive because he had life. Having life means that you are alive. If you are dead, you are dead because you don't have life. Death is the absence of life. Life means that you're not dead. Well, they had the life of God indwelling within them, but in accordance with the law of sin and death, in the day that they sinned, they died. That life was withdrawn from within them, and they became spiritually dead. This is a critical thing to understand. Sin entered into the world, and so mankind died. And so there were two problems that needed to be resolved in this case. The first one, of course, is the sin issue. But the second one is the death issue, the death problem. This was the problem that the Lord Jesus came to resolve. He came to die for the sins of humanity. And he did that. He died for the sins of humanity. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, no longer counting men's sins against them. Very important, because when he rose from the dead, he sent back to us the Holy Spirit as a free gift. And when we receive that, we receive the life of God that had been lost in Adam. But what's even more important is that once we receive that, there is no sin left unforgiven that would cause that life to leave. And so the life that we now have is now an eternal life, an everlasting life. Something that we can experience right now and today and will carry us on into eternity even after we physically die. This is the gospel. The good news is the solution to the problem. The problem was sin and death and the solution is forgiveness for the sin and the restoration of life. Paul described this very well in Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 8. This is Romans chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 beginning in verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We are reconciled to him by the death of his son. However, we are saved by his life. A very important distinction to make, because in most cases, in the vast majority of Christianity today, people are teaching and people are believing that salvation is the forgiveness of sins. But no, the forgiveness of sins made salvation possible, but salvation is the restoration of the life of God that had been lost in Adam. And the life that we receive will remain within us eternally because there is no sin left unforgiven. There is no sin that is being held against us ever again that would cause that life to leave because the wages of sin is death. And so please understand that this is the gospel. This is the gospel that Paul was preaching, and it could very well have been different, slightly different, a little bit distinct, 
from the gospel that James was preaching. Of course, I have to go into the scriptures and see if there is any evidence to that effect. And if I can find some evidence, then that does further support the point of view that I was describing, that perhaps they did not agree. Perhaps there was a disagreement between them. And if there was, it's very important to see that, not to try to invalidate the scriptures, but to validate them even more, to make them truly complete and understandable in the event that there are some differences of that kind, of that nature. Very important to at least identify those and recognize them for what they are. Now, if we have been saved, if that is salvation, then we are righteous before our God. We are holy before our God. We are justified before our God, not because of what we have done, but because of what he did for us. And that is the issue. We must believe, recognize, and understand that our salvation is only because of his grace and mercy, not because of what we have done or because of what we have not done, but only because of what he has done for us. This is very important to understand. It's very important to realize because without this, it is going to be easy for a person to believe that the work of God was not truly complete on the cross, that when he died for our sins and when he rose from the dead, there were still a few things that were left undone, and that's what you now need to do. And believe it or not, many people teach this. There are many very popular, well-known denominations in our world right now that distinctly believe that the work of God on the cross was not truly complete, but now it depends on you. That's what they believe. Make no mistake, that's what they really believe and that's what they really teach. Some will deny it to no end and yet still teach things that really communicate that truth. Others will be very bold and very plain about saying that, yes, that is certainly what they believe. And you have to make a choice. You have to decide, is what he did on the cross adequate for your justification? Or do you need to do a little bit more? And if you need to do a little bit more, let me ask you something. How will you ever know if you have done enough? What is a little bit more? What will be adequate? Who is going to decide that? How are you ever going to know? And the answer is never. You will never know until you go before the Lord and he explains to you whether or not he considers what you did or what you did not do, what your works were, whether he considers them to be acceptable or not. But between now and then, it's all up to you. Just do the best you can and just hope for the best. That's a really sad way of living. That is a really depressing way of living because at no time, in no way will you ever ever truly be able to be at peace with your God. You will never be able to live in a state of rest with your God. You will never experience rest and peace in your heart because there is no way to do so, because there is no way to know whether or not your right standing with God is truly where it should be, or if you need to do just a little bit more in order to make yourself right with God. And that's what people really believe, but I see no evidence of that in the scriptures at all. Instead, I sincerely believe that when he died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world, and so he no longer holds any of our sins against us. And if he no longer holds any of our sins against us, then it is true that regardless of what we do or what we don't do, our justification still stands on the basis of what he did. 
Now, people can look at this and they can say, okay, so now I have the freedom to go out and indulge the flesh. Well, of course you do, if that is the case, and I certainly don't want to deny that. But that's not the issue. The issue is what is going to change a person's heart so that they do not go out and pursue indulgence of the flesh. And this, of course, is another subject, and so I'm not going to get into this subject in this broadcast because it certainly will be very lengthy. But there is a transformation that occurs within a person. It occurs as a result of us trusting in, relying on, having faith in him and being at peace and being at rest with him. Then he is able to do a work within and through us. But that's a different subject. I'm going to have to defer that to another program. Instead, in this broadcast, what I really want to emphasize is the importance of understanding that because of what he did on the cross, we are justified. We are justified by faith. We are not justified by our works. Our justification is sustained by our faith. It is not sustained by our works. And so I'm going to tell you that in all honesty, I sincerely believe that if a person never does any works of God at all, they can still be saved. Certainly, consider if somebody comes to faith five minutes before they die, and they don't have an opportunity to perform any works at all. Are you going to say that they're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Well, then why would you say if somebody came to Christ 50 years before they died and they still didn't do any works, would they not be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's either true for one, the other, or both. And I personally believe that the same rules apply to everyone, that the Lord established salvation, the criteria by which we are saved, and the gospel has been clearly defined for everyone. Consider Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. It says, By that will we have been sanctified, other versions say, made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Because of what he has done for us, we have been made holy. We have been sanctified. Now, either you are sanctified by what he did, you are either made holy by what he did, or you're not. You have to choose to believe. You have to embrace the truth that he has made you holy. Because if you don't, there is only one thing you have left, and that is to try and figure out what do you need to do so that you can be sanctified. What do you need to do and so that you can be made holy? And the predominant message that is given in order to teach these very things, the predominant message is get all of the sin out of your life. And so, my friend, go ahead and give it your best effort. Do everything you can to get all of the sin out of your life. But if you don't, you are not holy. You are not sanctified. And if you never accomplish that, you never will be and you will never have any hope whatsoever of entering into the kingdom of heaven. Either you enter into the kingdom of heaven, either you are justified by what he did, or you are not. You cannot have it both ways. You must believe the truth of what he did. I am out of time for this program, and so I will continue on this subject of the differences between justified by faith and justified by faith and works in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 
3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-